Romans 4 and verse number 25. I'm going to start reading in verse number 24. Breaking into the middle of a sentence, but it says this, But for us also, to whom it shall be imputed, if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead. And then it gives us a little sentence about who he was. Who he was and what he did. And I'd like to speak to you about this little summary. Verse number 25, it says this. Who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. And we'll ask the Lord to bless the reading of his word. It's a privilege to be here tonight be able to speak to you, to talk to you about such important messages and important topics, to talk to you about sin, to talk to you about the Lord Jesus Christ, to talk to you about your soul, to talk to you about eternity. And as we think about your soul and as we've been praying for you and thinking about those who might be in the meeting tonight, one thing has been coming into my mind and it is this. If you're going to know what God thinks about you, You need to know what his revelation says. God has to reveal it to you. It's not just going to come to you, come to your mind, like some sort of gas that comes out of the sky or some sort of vision you're going to see in the clouds. It has to be revealed to you from God's own precious holy word. You see, when it comes to revelation, there's general revelation that we can see outside. These past few, uh, I was going to say weeks, but now months that we've been in Michigan, it's It's beautiful. This is a beautiful state. I come from the most beautiful place in the whole world, British, beautiful British Columbia, but Michigan's a close second. It's a nice place. And you see the God's general revelation. You see how he's created beautiful things. He's created beautiful trees and mountains and oceans and seas. That's his general revelation. But it's also good to understand that God has a specific revelation And God's specific revelation is found inside of the Bible. And that's how you're going to know what God thinks about you. That's how you're going to know what God thinks about your sins, about your life, about where you're going, about what happens after you live on this earth. Where are you going to go? The Bible answers the question. I was thinking about the story of humanity today, just in general. And these thoughts came to my mind. Really, the story of humanity, it's a tragic story. Joey's just mentioning a few stories that we read to our kids, fairy tales and folklore and things like that. But we read stories. And sometimes you read a story, and it's a beautiful story, and you go to the middle, and you go all the way to the end, and there's no problems. But other stories, a lot more interesting stories, they'll have some sort of tragedy. And the story of humanity is no different. It is a tragic story. It's a true story. But it's a story where you can see that people like you And people like me have sinned before a holy God. And we're people that need help. We're feeble and failing sinners. We're people that need a savior. We're people that need someone to come and take us and rescue us and bring us to be with God. Because you see, you cannot do it yourself. You and I cannot do it ourselves. But God can do it. So I was thinking of the story of humanity really just like a story. You see, sometimes we... Think about God as just this person who's up in the sky. There's a man named C.S. Lewis, and he wrote an essay uh, titled The Seeing Eye. And he said, people have this misconception. They think about God like he's the person on the second floor of a house. 
And sometimes people think of God as that man, you just walk up the stairs and you go up there and you get to know God. He's on the second floor. People think of God like he's just up in heaven somewhere. He's up out there, up in the sky. It was one of those Russian men, Nikita Khrushchev, I believe it was in the 60s. Some of you young folk will remember that. And he said, uh, he sent his astronauts to go up into space. And he said, they went up into space and they didn't see God. And therefore, God doesn't exist. I want to tell you that God does exist, but he's not, you're not going to see him through empirical observation by just looking at the sky. You're going to see him through a specific revelation that you see right here in the Word. God wrote a story. It's a true story. It's in this book. And one of the greatest things about the story that God has written inside of the Bible is this, that God has written himself into the story, into the story. You see, some of you young people, you, you read about Shakespeare at school, right? Shakespeare and you know, all these other playwrights and different people. And you're probably bored. You get bored and you have to learn about that kind of thing. And you learn about Shakespeare and you learn about people like Hamlet. You know, Hamlet didn't know who Shakespeare was, right? He didn't know who Shakespeare was. The only way Hamlet would know who Shakespeare was is if Shakespeare wrote himself into the play and became a character in the play and started talking to Hamlet then Hamlet would know. There's an old author named Dorothy Sayers, and she wrote a book, and the book uh, had something to do with uh, the whimsy people, I forget exactly the title, but the book is famous for this reason. A series of novels where she wrote herself into the story. And the way she wrote herself into the story was this, people didn't really know, but she was the first woman to go to Oxford, and as she wrote herself into the story, she joined the detective to solve all of the problems. And she became one of the main protagonists, one of the main people in this story. She wrote herself in so she could solve the problem. You could think of the story of the Bible kind of in that way. God wrote the story of the Bible. God has seen the problems that are in this world, that are in your life, that were in mine. And God has written himself into the story. And that's why you can know him. It's specific. It's his own revelation. He has written himself right into the play, as it were, right into the plot. And he is the person who comes and he rescues us from our own sin. And that's what I want to talk to you about tonight. I want to talk to you about the fact that God has come to this world. God has come in the form of his own son. He sent his son to come into the world to rescue us from our own sin. How did he do it? These two things that we saw in the verse. That's what I want to focus on. There is no more stable there is no more fixed, firm, solid, concrete, sure, steady way that we can look to as something that is dealt with and eradicated and eliminated the problem of sin. But we can look to this, no more steady or sure way than this. What does it say in verse number 25? It says this, he was delivered for our offenses and he was raised for our justification. Before I get to that point, there's just something I wanted to share with you. Mankind has done a lot of things to try and deal with sin. This is the answer from God himself. Delivered for our transgressions, delivered for our sins, and number two, raised for our justification. That's how God did it. That's how he did it. It's my privilege to explain that to you, but I need to tell you why he came and did that. There's people all over the world, and there's a very famous man right now. His name is Elon Musk. Some of you might have heard of him. You the nerds in the crowd who you like Elon Musk and his Teslas and that kind of thing. Well, Elon Musk is uh, very famous right now because he built this big, massive 
silver spaceship and he wants to send it up into space. And what he wants to do by the year 2024 is this. He wants to send, I think it's about 100 people up to Mars. Do you know why he wants to do that? Because Elon Musk is no dummy. He's looking at the world and he can see that this is a world that's being affected by something. He wouldn't call it sin, but that's really what it is. And he's saying we need another planet. We need to send people up to Mars so that we can keep our consciousness going. So that our humanity can continue existing. So that we're not destroyed by ourselves and the problems that we're creating for ourselves. You know what he's doing with sin? He's trying to solve the problem. He's trying to solve the problem. And he's doing it by avoiding sin. And there's a lot of people in this room, you couldn't build a, a rocket, just like me, we're not rocket scientists. You couldn't build a big, nice, shiny silver rocket and send yourself up to another planet. You couldn't do it. And I couldn't either. But you're still trying to do something similar to Elon Musk. The exact same thing. You're avoiding your sin. You think this sin problem that you have can be avoided. And it's not true. There's people in the world, not just Elon Musk, they call themselves environmentalists. I'm not here to talk about politics. You guys know that. But you know what the environmentalists try to do with sin in the world? It's true. They see a problem. They see a problem. And they're right. There is a problem with the planet. The planet is corrupted. The planet isn't right. There's something wrong with the planet that we live on. But they came up with this solution. What we're going to do is we're going to clean up the planet. And you'll see millionaire celebrities fly around the world in their fossil fuel-fueled rocket jets to talk to people about how they should reduce their carbon footprint. And that's how they clean up the problem of sin. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. There's only one thing that could possibly deal with sin. Joey mentioned a guy that we talked to today. He was telling us about the way that he kind of cleans up his sin. It was very similar to the way that I try to clean up my sin before I was saved. And similar to the way that you're trying to clean up your sin right now. You know what you do? You take your own bony little hands and you try to wipe off the problem of sin. Wipe it off your body. Wipe it off your existence. And you try to clean yourself up with your own works. There's something, I hope this doesn't offend you. Something we, we tell people often in Mexico. You know what that's like? When, before I was saved and when I tried to eradicate the problem of sin with my own works, you know what that's like? It's like putting lipstick on a pig. It's like putting lipstick on a pig. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. It's like handling the Mona Lisa with wet paint on your hands. It doesn't work. We had to sand the floors of the house that we're living in temporarily. We had to use this big sander. Peter was there helping us. It was a difficult job. You know what? It's like trying to, it's like trying to sand your beautiful hardwood floors with a baby wipe. That's what trying to eradicate your sins is like with your own hands. Trying to cure leukemia with laundry detergent. That's what you're doing when you try to take away your own sins. There's nothing we can do to take away our sin. There's only one thing that could possibly do the job. It's not in you. It's not in me. It's in the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. And that's why the verse talks about just two things that God did. Just two things. And it's all wrapped up in one big work. He was delivered for our transgressions. And He was raised for our justification. That is the way that God decided. And the only way that it could have been done. That your sin could possibly be dealt with. So we talked about how we 
we practice our messages on the neighbors. <laughs> well, we were talking about to one of the neighbors today, and I asked him this question. How could your sin be taken care of? Again, I got the answer. I have no idea. I have no idea. The other guy, he thought, well, the way our sins are taken care of, he talked about a place called purgatory. And he said, well, you go to purgatory and your sins are, he used the, the, the verb absolved. I don't even know what that means. It's not in the Bible, though. He said your sins are just kind of, I don't know, they're absorbed by something else when you're in purgatory. You get through the other side, and then you're good to go to heaven. It sounds like a big washing machine for sin. It's not how it works. When it comes to sin, there is just one thing that we can look to. Joey's been talking about it. We've been trying to explain it feebly and failingly every single night. But it's the work of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. But I want to zero in. I'd like to speak very specifically about one aspect of what he did and how that relates to your sin. Friend, we feel for you tonight. We care for you. And we don't know everything about you. But I know one thing about you. I know that you're just like me. You're a sinner. There's one difference, though, if you're not saved. My sins have been covered. My sins have been forgiven by the Lord Jesus Christ who took care of them at the cross. We don't know everything about you, but we do know this about you. You are a sinner. How are you going to deal with the problem? How will your sins be dealt with once and for all? How will your sins be eliminated? How will they be exterminated? How will the sin problem in your life be finally, once and for all, gone? How? Delivered for our transgressions. Raised up for our justification. I mentioned this verse the other night. It's a beautiful verse. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. And you see in that verse how the Apostle Paul speaks about the Lord Jesus Christ. And he narrows in. He takes that microscope and he goes straight to the problem of sin. And he said, the Lord Jesus Christ dealt with sin precisely, exactly in this way. Listen up. This is exactly the way that God deals with sin. Now with a spaceship... Not with environmentalism, not with you. This is the way he does it. It says, he who knew no sin was made sin. He who knew no sin, he was made sin. That's the way that God dealt with sin. You know what that means? I try to think of different illustrations and all of them failed. So I'm going to tell you one of the ones that failed. One of the ways that I was thinking about it was this. And I don't know if there is a perfect illustration outside of what we can see in the scriptures, but this kind of made sense to my mind. I hope, I hope this helps you. It's this. Imagine a nuclear bomb here in the United States. That's a big problem, isn't it? If a nuclear bomb, you know, if it was powerful enough, it could affect the entire globe. Imagine a nuclear bomb and everybody knows it's going to go off and it's affecting every single person. There's radiation coming out of it and everybody's getting sick and they're coughing and they're getting lung cancer or whatever else happens when you're exposed to radiation and, and something needs to be done to it. Somebody needs to come and take it and destroy it. And there's no one in all the world who can do it. There's not one person who can get close to that nuclear bomb to eradicate it, to eliminate it, to exterminate it, to deal with it once and for all so that all of humanity can be saved. Imagine one person going and taking that nuclear bomb and strapping it to their chest and then diving into the middle of the ocean and detonating that bomb and absorbing all the effect of the explosion all onto themselves. And then three days and three nights later, coming back to the surface and walking on this sandy, dirty ground 
and announcing to every single person in the world, I went and I took care of the problem. Look to me, look to me, believe on me, and you will be saved. Imagine that. That's exactly, that's partly what happened here in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. He who knew no sin, he was made sin. That's that verse that's been quoted so many times already in the series. The Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. It says in verse 13, I believe it is, in Isaiah 53, it pleased the Lord to bruise him. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. God himself bruised him. God himself made him sin. And the Lord Jesus Christ took all that sin voluntarily on himself. And he died. And through death, he dealt with that sin once and for all. It's quoted in the Psalms. In prophecy, the Lord Jesus Christ, as it were, going into the depths of those waters. All thy waves and thy billows pass over me. He went into the depths of the waters. He took the sin on himself. He buried it deep in the ground. He absorbed it all into him, being perfect without being a sinner himself. But he dealt with that sin once and for all. And then three days later, he rose again. He rose again. And he's alive today. One of the most beautiful things that you can read in the Bible over and over and over again is that you can read about the Lord Jesus Christ, not just dying, we talked about that the other night. Remember 1 Corinthians 15, 3? Christ died for our sins. Do you guys remember that? He died for our sins. Not only that, he was also raised for our justification. There's this phrase that you see over and over again in the epistles. And the Apostle Paul, he describes the Lord Jesus Christ. And when he talks about his death, he then talks about the resurrection. And he says this, God raised him up. God raised him up by the glory of the father he was raised he was raised he was raised by the spirit he was raised up to sit on that worthy privileged seat on the right hand of the father in the heavenlies he was raised you ever ask yourself the question why he was raised you ever thought about the significance of him being raised the significance is this god never would have raised him if he didn't finish the job God never would have raised him if he did not finish the job. God is not looking at you to get, to get rid of your sins. God is not looking at me so I can do something about my sins. God was looking at one holy, righteous person who on the cross, without being a sinner, he took those sins on himself. And when he did it, three days later, God said, I approve. I put my stamp of approval on the work that you've done. I put my rubber seal on what you have accomplished. I agree. I declare to all the world, God is declaring to you tonight. What my son did was enough. It was everything that was needed for your sins. Are you looking for something else? You still looking at yourself? Still trying to find a salvation in and inside of you? It was all done at the cross. I was just reading an article. It was really helpful by a famous preacher named Eugene Higgins. And he wrote an article in a magazine called Truth and Tidings. And he was writing about this verse. And he, he started talking about this old preacher named David Ray. I found this really helpful. It helped me out. He said, David Ray, before he was a preacher, he thought about this verse. David Ray was a drunkard. He was a man that was into sin and into vices, and uh, he had addictions and this thing and that thing. But he, 
He knew about the gospel, and he knew about salvation generally, and he really wanted to be saved. So one day, David Ray, in a fit of desperation, he cried out to God, and he said, Oh, God, if you save me, I will do anything you ask of me. And then he thought this. This verse came into his mind. He who knew no sin was made to be sin. And he thought to himself, all of a sudden, he thought of the cross. Joey's been taking us to the cross tonight. And he said, it was like I was standing at the foot of the cross. And I was looking at the Lord Jesus Christ. And he said, at that moment, it was like he, he looked at me. And as I was looking to satisfy God myself, the Lord Jesus Christ looked to me and he said this, haven't I done enough for you? Haven't I done enough for you? Is there something more that you will need? And he said, in that moment, I realized this. I'm trying to satisfy God. But the Lord Jesus Christ already satisfied God. And then he said, I exclaimed to my wife, I am saved. Why? Because he believed it. On the principle of faith, he received it. He took it on to himself and he said, that was enough for God and it's enough for me. The sin that he took on himself, that was my sin. The sin that the Lord laid on him, that was mine. And it satisfied God. And for that reason, I can know my sins are forgiven. It was enough. It was enough. Is it enough for you? What are you still doing tonight trying to deal with your sin, trying to eradicate your sin, trying to take away your sin, eliminate, exterminate your own sin? There's nothing more that could possibly be done in all of human history. There's no other work that's going to come in the future. It was done once, and it was done once for all. The Apostle Paul in this verse, he's saying this. He's, he's almost screaming out, preaching out to the people, and he's speaking to unbelievers, and he says this, Be ye reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. God wants to have a relationship with you. He wants to give you a new life. He wants to save you. And the greatest thing of all is that he's done everything necessary to effectuate it. Everything necessary to accomplish it. Every single last thing that was required to give you salvation, it has been done. Your sin is the problem. Your destiny is hell. But the Lord Jesus Christ, he came and he dealt with your problem. And tonight your destiny could be heaven. If you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ tonight, you see his work is enough. You accept it by faith. You will be saved. Receive the gift and thank the giver.